Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Murren, and I'm the host of this podcast. The support through four episodes has been incredible, and it's my duty to bring you some of the best combat sports athletes every week on Forged in Ohio. So here's another one. He is the third-ranked amateur welterweight in the state of Ohio. He is a former amateur champion at B2 Fighting Series. He is the impressive 6-1 amateur mixed martial artist, Hunter Watt. Thank you for coming in and taking the time out of your day, Hunter. And thank you for coming in studio. And welcome to Forged in Ohio. Of course, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me in here. You're from Bolivar. What was growing up in Ohio like, and how'd you get into MMA? It was typical small town school. I started wrestling when I was six, I think. And then the love for combat sports just came from that. After I graduated school, I had a couple couple offers to go wrestle at certain colleges. Nothing crazy. I wasn't phenomenal. I was decent, but I ended up not going to school. Took a couple years off. Decided I really wanted to do something again. And I mean, MMA is the pretty much only option. And also, I'd say it's now my new favorite. Was there a figure in your life that exposed you to your first mixed martial arts gym? It was just a friend of mine who happened to know my coach currently. And when uh, he recommended my coach, like, hey, man, go check him out. Go check out this gym. He's down there. I went down to 250 and it was I've been there since. I've heard a lot of people talk about, oh, I need to go try this gym, that gym. Nah, I've been I, I've been pretty happy with where I'm at. I really enjoy my coaches. I really enjoy the gym. It's a good place. Yeah, you train out of Route 250 Martial Arts in New Philly. What's training there like, and all the coaches that you have in that in that building? It's it's a good time. It's a big push. We're all there. We all love to just sit and work and push each other to be better. The coaches, Andrew Law, Ben White, great dudes, both extremely knowledgeable, and then we have three other judo instructors on top of them who are all wildly knowledgeable and the amount of experience between the five of them is something you don't get anywhere else. Since your background was in wrestling, what was it like when you transitioned to MMA and had to worry about completely different skill sets? It's striking's hard, dude. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> striking is so hard. I struggle with it. Like, I, I'm obviously improving because I'm trying and I'm working at it. But I struggle to pick up anything on it just for the fact of it is completely the opposite of everything I've ever done my entire life. Like I've always been grappling. Like I want to be heavy on my feet. I want to be in close to you. I want to grab a hold of you. I want to move you around. No, striking, you, you got to move around. You got you to gotta not get punched in the face while hitting somebody else. It, it gets hard, man. Yeah, and of course, every single round starts on the feet. How good were you at first at eating a punch? Not, not, not at all. It was so bad. Everyone kind of made jokes when I first started, you know, all the plans go out the window when you get punched in the face the first time. I didn't realize how true that was until the first time I actually got in the cage to spar somebody. And I'm like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. This is going to happen. And then I get punched in the face and all of that goes out the window. I'm like, oh, that's what they mean. How does somebody train to make that a comfortable experience getting punched in the face repeatedly in sparring or in the octagon at all? It's not 
something you ever really get comfortable with. You have to, it's just something you, you deal with. It's a consequence of what happens. Obviously, the goal is to not get hit, though. The better you get, the harder you are to hit. But then at the same time, your partners and the people you're sparring with are getting better as well, should be. And they're pushing you. They make it more difficult. And you're. it's just something you have to get used to, something that it, it never gets easier. Every single time getting hit in the face is the same as it was the other couple hundred. You started wrestling. Were you a fan of MMA before you even got to Route 250? Or have you become a fan of MMA at all? It's it's fun to watch sometimes. like I like going to local events. I always travel when any of my buddies fight. I go with them. Uh, but as far as like just tuning in on the fight to the fights on Saturday night, no, I I don't I don't watch TV, man. I scroll on my phone a little bit, like I'll scroll some social media, but for the most part, I don't have time to watch TV. And if I do have time, I I really enjoy reading, so I do that instead. That's interesting. What do you like to read? I like fantasy books, you know medieval times dragons magic adventure crazy stuff like that it's so much fun because you can just get into it read for 20 30 minutes and you look up and like man this is it's kind of fun to just get into a book for a while just take your head out of everything you've been dealing with and just get into a whole nother story what's your go-to book your go-to recommendation for anybody listening uh it's called the academy by chad leto i don't know how to say it it's spelled l-i-e-t-o it's kind of crazy some cool things happen it's a little bit more of a sci-fi type thing they have like human mutation and you know superpowers and other crazy things so it's it's kind of cool back to fighting yeah, and your sorry. mixed martial arts no, <laughs> of course I'm, I'm glad to have these kind of conversations you debuted at cage thunder seven against drew hatcher in april 2019 at 21 years old you looked completely different back then why did you decide to debut as an amateur at such a young age? I enjoy competing. I have always felt my best, like my mental health, my physical health, everything. The way I feel on a daily basis is the best when I'm competing and working towards a goal. So knowing that, I went back to went back to the competition world and like, hey, I want to do something. MMA is kind of one of my only options. Let's give that a whirl. So I went into the into uh into the gym, started training, and they're like, it was really funny because I I am one of the most uncoordinated people you've ever met in your life. I am so doppy when I move. It's kind of funny. Granted, it looks better now, but it was bad when I first started. I told walked in the first night, told the coach, like, hey man, I want to fight. Like, I'll be back. This is what I want to do. They're like, okay, okay, that's fine, cool, whatever. You'd be surprised how many times we hear that on a daily, like a weekly basis from people who should show up out of the blue. I went back, came back every day for about six months straight, had told him I wanted to fight, and then after after about that six months, Andrew's like, man, do you really want to fight? I'm like, yeah. So he's like, all right, cool, I'll find you one. Found me a, uh, he got a hold of Scott, the matchmaker there for Cage Thunder. Scott set me up a match. Gave me all the information. I went and did all the blood work and everything and had a fight. It was cool. Going into it, what were your emotions like? Were you more nervous, more excited, a little bit of both? 100% nervous. I'm a giant head case. But also, I don't remember all that much. I had such an adrenaline dump from that night. My first like three fights, 
are real hazy just because it's crazy having to go step into a cage and fight somebody. The amount of adrenaline that comes from that is wild. Yeah, it's not like you were rocked in any of those three fights. It's just the adrenaline that's yeah. kind of wiped those from your mind a little bit. A little bit. I, I don't know if anyone else is like that, but I've always kind of had that. When I've been really nervous, like even wrestling matches and stuff, when it's been a really intense match and it was a really important one and I'm kind of nervous about it, it gets hazy. Just can't remember it completely. And someone would be like, you remember you did this? Yeah, kind of, sort of, but no. I know I did it, but no, I don't remember doing it. Yeah, that's fascinating. Maybe it's just like a little flash that goes by and then bell rings and all of a sudden you're getting your hand raised. Yeah, I I mean, I remember bits and pieces, but the whole thing is kind of wild. In your debut, you won via shoulder lock in round three. I'm not sure if you do remember that. I finish, do remember that. But that walk, was... me, walk me through what that experience was like in your amateur debut. It was relieving. I was exhausted. That third round started and I could, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can pick my hands back up. This is my first fight. I'm all, I'm into the third round. I have never been so tired before. I end up getting the takedown. And then next thing I know, I'm, in, I'm on uh, in Kizikatama, holding him down. And we have, I've never seen anybody outside of judo people hit this arm bar. And everybody at my gym, we all train judo. We have hit it. A bunch. I've won two fights with that same armbar. Uh, I have a coach, Andrew, one of his fights, won one of his fights with that armbar. My training partner, Brogan, at least one of his fights, he was won with it. So it's solid. And I'm like, well, this is here. Cool. Took that and just cranked on it. And he started kind of wiggling out a little bit. So I started punching him in the face. Then he tapped. The official didn't stop it because you know, he tapped and I loosened up, not knowing any better. Now I know, don't, don't, don't let go. Don't let go until someone pulls you off of him. But uh, he tapped, I loosened up, official didn't stop. So I tighten back up, keep a hold of it. And after however long it was, the official ends up stopping it. So that shoulder lock, it's almost like a staple signature submission of Route 250, it sounds like. A little bit, yeah. It's, it's slick. Not many, I don't know anybody who sees it. I've never... I've never met people outside of our gym who are like, oh, yeah, I know that move. Talking to Hunter Watt on Forge in Ohio, you won your first three fights by finish. Did you feel like you were on top of the world at that time, like nobody could beat you? Oh, no, not at all. Not really? at all. No. Goodness, no. Any Clearly, everybody can be beat at any time. All it takes is you get caught. It's it, That's the game. I try not to be arrogant, and I'm always – trying to keep in mind that, you know what, there is, there's always someone better. There's always someone who might catch you. There's always a chance of you losing. So you have to do everything physically possible to train and prepare for that. So you don't. After those three fights, you then decided to advance from Cage Thunder. What has it been like fighting for other promotions, specifically B2 fighting series? Really cool. Really cool. I like B2 a lot. That was just a happenstance. I got lucky. I was at the gym one day and my coach was like, Hey, you want to take a fight in two and a half weeks? Dude's four and oh, they need somebody to fill in. I was three and oh at the time. I'm like, sure. Why not? I mean, I, I had been training for consistently. Like I, I do CrossFit every day, at least three to four days a week, depending on how close I am to a fight. But I try to stay regular enough that I'm in shape. 
So I'd been doing that every day. I'd been doing the martial arts training every day too. Just, I, I was ready. So I'm like, yeah, I'll take a fight. And we head down to, uh, it was down in Bowling Green, Kentucky. It was phenomenal. They had, we get there. It was like, nope, it was better than any promotion that I, than, uh, I'd seen. Like I'd been around Honor. I'd went to Cage Thunder. Nothing against Cage Thunder or anything, any other promotions in Ohio. They're great. They're great. I will happily fight for them. It's just when I tra- I had never traveled before to a lar- to a promotion of that size. It was really cool. Get back there. They had mats for everybody to warm up on. Not it, like they had one or two squares, like the little ten by ten squares in the middle. But that's more than most people get. They had little stalls for every fighter. It was cool. And then to go, like they have the pay per view and you can stream it. And I had people at home who bought it. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool that. They're seven and a half hours away watching me fight live. It was cool. Yeah. It was different. I believe Cage Thunder has something like that now where there is a live streaming I uh, think they do. capability there. So two and a half weeks to train for a specific opponent. You said you're already in shape. You're already training. But two and a half weeks, that does not sound like a lot of time to train for a particular opponent. What was that experience like? I mean, I had been training. Like I said, I'd been doing that for months beforehand. So, I mean, if, if you stay ready, if you stay ready to fight, you can take those short notice ones and be okay. So, like, right now, I, I'm in shape. I'll, all I'd have to do is cut the weight. But granted, I'm kind of heavy right now. Is cutting weight hard for you or is it a, a no. process that? It actually has been fairly easy the past couple of times. Okay. It's been great. Um, I have a sponsor who does meal prep. Fit meal prep. She, uh, the woman who cooks the food there, is phenomenal. Uh, the food is great. Everything I've gotten there is fantastic. I love it. And for whatever reason, when I eat that for lunch every day, and then I keep my breakfast, and I have a little snack in between work and the gym, and then I eat my dinner, and I eat clean, and I keep track of that. But for whatever reason, those meals help something crazy. Because as soon as that was the only thing I changed in my weight cuts, like the only thing that differentiated from what I had done any other time and I dropped I was able to eat the morning of weigh-ins which I I normally don't get to do I was hydrated I was still drinking like half a gallon of water I went and sat in the sauna just because I could not because I had to yeah you said the last couple weight cuts have been easier than the first few what were those first few weight cuts like when you're getting into MMA oh yeah uh they weren't great they weren't bad I mean I like I wrestled my whole life, so weight cutting is not foreign to me. But I had never had to cut 15, 20 pounds before. Granted, it's over six, seven weeks. But still, I've never had to be like, all right, I have to lose 20 pounds. And that was when I started. That was, I'd get back up to about 190. I don't get that heavy anymore. I usually walk around about 85, 86. Cut from there is not too bad because if i can get within 10 pounds the week of that's that's pretty easy do you have a miserable weight cutting experience i feel like most fighters most wrestlers do not really i was always pretty good at cutting weight it's i mean it's always sucked and i've had instances where you know i've had to throw on hoodies and sweats and go run and that was like in wrestling and stuff but for the most part no everything's been pretty pretty easy and well-managed. I take pride in the fact that I have never missed weight. Well, that's not true. I missed weight one time, but that I don't know if I can count that. 
I went to a wrestling match and uh, I was when I was wrestling for Tusky, we went to Caldwell. Coaches had told me the day before, like, hey, you're going to wrestle 170. Usually I wrestled 160. I walked around like 165. Easy day before, five pound cut, make weight, we're cool. But they're like, hey, you're going to wrestle 70. So I'm like, so I don't need to cut weight tonight. And they're like, no, you're cool. You're going to wrestle seven. All right, sweet. Get to the school. I am standing in my underwear in front of the scale about to weigh in. And coaches are like, hey, can you make 60? No. No, you told me not, you told me I'd be wrestling 70. I ate extra last night because I wanted to be heavier. <laughs> but they ended up just taking the dude who was at 70, who dropped to 60, bumped him back up to 70 to wrestle me. So he cut weight for no reason. So did you end up wrestling? Yeah, I did. Okay. I just ended up wrestling 170. How'd that match go? I I won that one. The competition has certainly gotten stronger for you in B2, and you've won three fights by decision. Do you look back to your cage thunder bouts and think about your ability to finish fights, or are you just focused on your job at hand, which is finishing or winning fights by any means necessary? No, oh, no, man. I really want to get back to finishing fights. Full, full fights are tiring. I want what happened to me, but I don't want to be the guy that lost. You know what I Makes mean? Makes sense, yeah. Well, nice, you know, land something good, get the fight done quick. And be done with it, but I mean, I'll take what I can get too. Right, win's a win. Was the two and a half week notice for your opponent? Was that the Nick Wells fight? No, that was James Martin. Okay. What was it like to win the amateur welterweight belt in May of 2021 against Nick Wells? <laughs> uh, that was a very interesting night. That was yeah, with the situation at the end. Yeah, the the announcer screwed that. All up. Yeah, so for those that don't know, the ring announcer initially said that you lost by split decision. Wells was celebrating with a belt. He had all the ring ladies around him taking oh, pictures. Oh, yeah. Before He's they corrected tears. the decision. He is in tears. Yeah. He is so happy. And I feel bad because I find it really funny. But that's it's hilarious. And then the ring announcer had to correct the decision because you were the <laughs> winner of the fight yeah, yeah. by split decision. I've never <sighs> seen anything like this in my life. What was going on at that moment for you? Because I'm sure it was a roller coaster of emotions for you standing on the side of the octagon, watching that all unfold. I was so confused. So I'm standing there and the official goes, you know, not the official, the announcer's like, hey, man, hey, it's a split decision. You know, this is the score. And then he announced it as not a split decision, then announced him as the winner, handed him the belt. And I'm like, well, damn, I thought I won that one. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to throw a fit about this when I'm off camera. I go to walk out the cage, and my buddy just screams from the side. He goes, get back in there. You won that. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I guess I'm not leaving yet. So I'm standing in the cage. I turn around, and the announcer goes, hey, guys, I'm sorry. Hunter won. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Give me that. I walk over to him. I get the belt from him. Kind of, it, It's kind of mean. Try to go for like a hug and be polite. Be like, man, that sucks. I'm sorry. But it looks like I'm just being a being a butthole. Like, gimme, gimme, you know? Oh, well. Yeah, that exchange. You, I don't think you've ever seen the person who won, but <laughs> did win, who got the championship belt, have to give that away <laughs> to his opponent, who was the actual winner of the fight. Th that was wild. I've never seen that happen. I've never heard of that happening. It's kind of funny, but yeah, it is happen. what it is. Regardless of that situation, it was 2-2 going into the fifth round against Wells. Did you think you had done enough to win that fight and to ultimately get the belt? 
at the end of the fight, yeah, I knew I had to win that fifth round. And, I mean, he went for <laughs> My coach looks at me in the face and goes, do not let him throw you again. I mean, I shouldn't. I, I specifically trained judo, which is literally all throws. I should know how to not get thrown by somebody. I didn't do a great job of that. Got thrown a couple times. He tried a third time, and I got lucky that my head popped out. Granted, I tried. I I pulled my head out, but ended up not getting thrown. Ended up on top, and then once I was on top, I knew he was so tired, and I was so tired. They're like, it's it's not going anywhere. I'm just gonna sit on top of you and punch you enough that I can say I won this round. How cool was it to actually win the amateur strap once you got it? It was cool, but I mean, it's it's an amateur belt. Didn't put much much into it. I, I, at this point, every fight, belt or not, is just experience. I I have goals of wanting to go pro and wanting to get to the top level. I want to make a, a career at this eventually is my goal. So like an amateur title, yeah, it's cool and it's a stepping stone. But also it's, I mean, in the scheme of things, it's, it's an amateur title. But I will say not a lot of people have them. Not a lot of people have them. And so it, it is, I'm happy to have won it. It's just, it's it's a small stepping stone on something on the way back to what I want to do. You also defended that belt against Spencer over Brockling in December of last year. The result was 49-46 on all three scorecards. You had a lot of impressive takedowns in that fight. What do you make of your first fight against, or your fight against Spencer and what that first title defense meant for you in your career? Because I'm sure a target got put on your back as soon as you won that title and became champ. I mean, people, I guess, had already been asking to fight me. I was... Oberbrechling was actually a replacement. He was not who I was scheduled to fight originally. I don't remember the guy's name. But I was supposed to fight the guy who had the belt in the weight class above me. And he ended up, something happened. I don't know if he broke his hand. He got injured, something. Looks like it might have been Peyton Hughes. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds right. about right. Yeah. He got injured, so he ended up pulling out, like I think, two weeks before. And Brandon was able to find me a replacement. Maybe it was three weeks. I don't know. It was kind of crazy, though, because when I got to weigh-ins and I had the face-off and everything and I saw Oberbreckling for the first time, he did not look intimidating at all. He looked like he looked like a little skinny dude. Like, he had a real crappy weight cut. He didn't look great. And then I walk out to the cage as I'm walking out. I look up and I see him like, damn, dude grew. He looked significantly larger than he, he had the day before, and it was kind of wild. I'd never seen that before. What was your mindset going into the cage then, seeing your opponent much bigger than you had previously saw him? I don't really know, man. I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts at that time. I have to be so singular in my thought process when I'm walking up to the cage, just for the fact of if I let anything else in, I'll have a nervous breakdown and lose. I'm a giant, like I said, I'm a giant head case. I can't, I can't think about those things. I can't let those nerves get to me. So it's just, all right, cool. We're going to go in here and fight. That's the guy I'm fighting. So I, I don't know if anyone's ever noticed, but as soon as I get up to the cage, take off my clothes, I turn around and I lock eyes with that dude. And I do not look away at, at all, at all. I don't look away, fight starts, and then I'm still staring you down the entire time. Just for the fact of that gives me something to focus on 
so that nothing else distracts me. Also, maybe a intimidation factor. A little bit. Your pony, yeah. I mean, it can be, but most of the time they're like, all right, let's do this. And they stare down back. Stare downs are fun. You enjoy them? Oh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I practice them in the mirror at home. You know, I'm just got 15, 20 minutes to kill. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Just lock in, lock in on the mirror, just staring myself in the eyes. You can beat yourself in a stare down. I didn't believe it when my, when Andrew told me that the first time. And he's like, yeah, man, I, he's like, I practice mine in the mirror. You, you can beat yourself. I'm like, there's no way I got to try this. So went home, tried it. And yeah, you can, you can beat yourself in a stare down in the mirror. It's kind of cool. How do you do that? You just, you kind of stare at the mirror long enough that you end up having to look away from your own reflection because you can see how hard you're staring back at yourself. If that makes sense. It's just like, it, it gets to a point where it's too much. I'm like, I cannot main, contain eye contact even with myself. Now, when you practice the stare downs, are you just practicing the eye contact or maybe are you trying out different stances? What's going on? It's usually just, so my goal in a stare down is just to stare through your soul and into your soul through your eyeballs. Because that's also the most intimidating thing. If I'm just locked in on your eyes and I'm looks like I'm looking through you. That's a little bit scary. At least it is to me. And when people do it to me, I'm like, Oh geez. So, I mean, I, the stance don't matter, whatever it is, however I'm comfortable. It's just once I'm locked in, I'm staring through your eyes. Has an opponent ever intimidated you? Oh, every, stare down? I mean, no, no brick wall out there. Yeah. Like it sucks. I think. I mean, I I always think about it. I'm always nervous. I'm always aware of the the fact that I can lose, but at the same time, I'm not gonna. You're not gonna stand in front of me and scare me. Since you held the amateur belt for B2 Fighting Series, you were fighting five round fights. Two of your seven career fights have gone all five rounds. What's the difference between going in there for five rounds compared to three? It is a lot different. Even just the the difference from my first from my title fight with Wells to my title fight with uh, Oberbreckling, the difference in my conditioning and the way I did it was so much more intense just so I could make it those five rounds. And those the five rounds is why I believe, granted, I think I, he only won one round, but those five rounds helped me beat Oberbreckling. Having that extra six minutes on somebody who hadn't done that before or not, I mean, if you haven't done it, you don't really know how it feels. So you, how do you prepare for it? So having that extra couple minutes in there with him, being able to grind it out with, while he's tired helped me a lot. At this point, do you prefer fighting for five rounds compared to three? I don't want to fight for one. Good point. <laughs> I, I want to win in the first one. <laughs> Good point. Throw the conditioning out the window, land that shot, land a submission in the first round, and call it a day. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I'm going, obviously, I'm going to condition and be prepared for it to go all the way. But no, I don't want it to. I want to win it 30 seconds. That's the goal every time. Once again, this is Hunter Watt with us on Forged in Ohio. Unfortunately, you lost via knockout 33 seconds into the first round to Chris Brandt in your last fight in October. Obviously, it was your first loss as an amateur in your career. How did that affect you both physically and potentially mentally as well? Damn, it was only 33 seconds. 33 seconds. Shit, I thought it was 38. That five seconds hurt, dude. Five seconds hurts? Yeah, I, th I, thought, I thought I had like, I mean, 40 seconds. 
close to 40 seconds sounds way better than 33. Oh, well, it, I mean, it happens. He caught me. Caught you in the clinch, it looked like? Yeah, he caught me with a beautiful knee. I have never been hit in the, sol- it, like, in the solar plex so, so sharp and so hard. And it took, it took the life out of me. He grabbed a hold of me once. And while he had a hold of me, that was the only thing holding me up. I would have been on the floor if he wasn't holding me up. And then he puts me on the cage. And I'm like, all right, I need, I'm going to take a second. I got to catch my breath. I got to get back to it. And then he hits me with a really, really nice uppercut, a couple of them. And that just took away the rest of my legs. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to curl up in a ball now here and just, just sit for a second. And I sit down. Then I hear the official go, hey, man, you got to do something. And I'm like, I, I can't. I got nothing. I'm sitting here and he's just pounding out of the side of my head. Is it fair to say that that knee strike was the most dangerous or maybe most hurtful shot you've ever taken? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It hurt. I was sore almost two weeks later. It, it still hurt like at least a week and a half. It was it was tender. And I still I, I hate being hit in the body. I hate it. It sucks. I'm getting better at taking them and also poker facing them. I thought I did an all right job poker facing that one. But at the same time, there's only so much you can do when you can barely stand up. What's worse, a flush shot to the body or a flush shot to the legs? Because I can't imagine taking a leg kick as somebody who has not practiced MMA. So which is worse in your opinion? 100% body. Really? Yeah. Legs suck. I mean, but also... It's just a bunch of muscle. It's a bunch of meat. They're, it's just going to sting. They hit you in the organs, and there's nothing you can do. It's, it drops you. A good, well-placed body shot will drop somebody faster than any headshot. You're still an amazing amateur fighter with a 6-1 and one record, plus you're still ranked very highly among Ohio amateur fighters in your weight class. You held a belt for B2, what else in your mind is there to accomplish in your amateur career? Win a few more fights. Just keep fighting. Keep, keep getting that experience. Whenever, uh, like I said, I, w- I would like to go pro, but I won't do that before coaches okay it. Because I respect what my coaches say and enough to, be, to let them make that decision. If they say I'm not ready, I'm not going to do it. So whenever they're like, hey, would you like to go pro? Then I'll take then I'll take it. But until then, it's just take what fights I can. Just keep trying to get better. That's all. When do you think that transition to pro could happen? How many fights do you think you realistically would need to have before you go pro? In the state of Ohio, you have to have nine and a winning record and a few other stipulations. And also the commissioner, Ohio's commissioner is pretty tough. He tries not to let people go pro too early. And some people complain about how stingy he is about it and how difficult it is to go pro in Ohio. But, I mean, pro-level fights are another world, man. A lot of people aren't ready for that. So, like, I get it. I would like to have three, at least, more fights. At least three. Win a couple. Try not to lose any of those. You know, normal, yeah. normal stuff. Going pro is a completely different game. The record gets wiped. The record gets oh, wiped. No. The rules change. It's it's, and that's when that's when things start to really matter. Your your pro record doesn't go away. Your amateur record can be whatever. As soon as you turn pro, that doesn't matter anymore. It's gone. 
but that pro record is what's important. And that's why I don't want to go too early. And I mean, bringing up, uh, you know who Lucas Mast is. He's a guy from Mount Millersburg. He was a phenomenal amateur fighter. He held a belt for Cage Thunder. He held a belt for Honor. Defended it multiple times. I think he was eight and one, nine and one, maybe. I'm not sure. But then he tur turned pro. And uh, in my opinion, I think he went too early. And then ended up not have his first two pro fights didn't go his way. And he, he's now currently an 0-2 pro. That's, that's, those are the things that happen when you go, when you're not prepared for it. When you're not ready and you don't see what it is beforehand. Two or three more fights in your amateur career. Where do you see those happening? Are you going to stick with B2 fighting series? Maybe do some other things? What do you think? All just depends on who's got cards when I'm ready to fight. I want to fight in January-ish, somewhere around that time. And... uh I mean, I'll take whatever's whatever the best offer is, whoever, whatever opponent I want to fight. Or if there's not any offered, my coach is, I don't set up my own fights. I, I, I go to my coach, I go to Andrew and I ask him like, hey man, I'm ready to fight. Can you reach out and can you find me one? A lot, not a lot of coaches do that for people. A lot of, a lot of guys have to match up their own fights and I'm not, I'm not a fan on that. I really appreciate the fact that he goes a little bit extra distance and does that work for me so that I don't have to worry about it. And then I don't have to worry like, oh, is this a good matchup? You know, is this opponent going to be something? Is he way below my skill level? Is it going to be a stupid fight where it's not going to be worth anything to me? Or is it going to be a fight where a dude's way above my level and I don't really, and I can't hang or something like that? So having him go out and do that helps a lot. I have another friend of mine. His name is Garrett Hirschberger. He, he has an offer to fight for uh, Ohio Combat League in January. And I think Andrew mentioned maybe trying to get me on that card. If they have somebody. I mean, mm -hmm. if they don't, they don't. Interesting to me that you want to come back in January because there was a long layoff between your last two fights. You fought in October, but your previous fight before that was in December. Was there a reason for that long layoff? And are you just trying to return quickly to the cage maybe to get that knockout out of your mouth or what's going on there so after my fight with Oberbreckling, i was a little beat up and i'm like i need to, i need to take some time and recover and then just take some time to build my skill and work on that and just try to improve a little bit make that next step before i step back in the cage and so i was trying to go about you know i wanted to go five six months in between fights then well i had scheduled a fight for july dude backed out the week before I didn't want to try to find any replacement again, especially when it was only a week out that time. And I'm just like, I don't want to deal with it. Whatever. I'm not fighting that night. And then I, the fight that I had in October, I, after, after July I got canceled. I'm like, I still want to fight. So we found one scheduled one in September. Well, then that card got canceled. The whole card got canceled. So then it got my, uh, my matchup got moved to the eighth and it ended up, just being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So, and it, it, it kind of sucked. It was real irritating. And I know it affected my mindset a little bit as far as the fight. But, I mean, it, it, it is what it is.
happens. It wasn't for a lack of trying. You were no. trying to get back in yeah. there. I was trying to fight and it just by happenstance, nothing worked out. And I, I, I've taken that time to improve those skills I want to and work on things. And I feel like I'm ready to fight again. And I, and I want to, so, I mean, I, I'm not hurt right now. I'm in shape. Why not take one kind of soon? What's been the biggest lesson you've learned so far in your amateur career that you could apply to eventually turning pro and in your future fights? This is the biggest part that I struggle with when it comes to fighting. Like the publicity where I got to be out there. I got to talk to people. I got to do this. I got to post on social media. I got to, I got to do that. I struggle with. So I very much appreciate you having me in here. I really need to do more of this. That's probably the biggest thing on my part because you got to get out there. You, people got to hear you. People got to see you. People got to know who you are. And nobody's going to – people learn about you just from fighting. Like I have people who know who I am every time I go to fights and stuff. But everybody outside of that's not going to. So just trying to trying to get my name out there more is the the part that I need to probably work on most. Yeah, you said you don't like those cocky people out there, but at the same time, you want to build some type of brand, some type of social media personality that you could carry on in your career. Right. I'll uh, leave you with this. What's the ultimate goal for Hunter Watt as a mixed martial arts fighter? I want to make a career at it. I don't need to make a bunch of money. I don't really care. But I want to be the best fighter I can be. And if that means winning a world title one day that's what i'm trying to do i just want to be the best out there fair enough man i always end interviews on the show by connecting the combat sports athlete i'm interviewing to the best state in the country you were forged in ohio so here's a chance to end the interview that goes like this oh i oh thanks for the time hunters to come in studio for this and good luck in training and in future fights I know your future is going to be a bright one and hopefully we can connect again soon down the line and maybe in January when you fight next. For sure. I'd love to, man. I appreciate it. That was Hunter Watt. He may have lost his last fight, but he's still a six in one amateur fighter who is ranked very highly in the state of Ohio. Plus, I think he has the skills to truly compete professionally. As I mentioned before the interview, the support from all of you for Forge in Ohio has been incredible. We're already over 100 downloads, and with even more plays, I couldn't be happier with how the program has been doing. Thank you for the support, and as always, I'll be back next week with another interview. Until then, share and subscribe to this podcast. I've been your host, Jake Marin, and this was Forged in Ohio.